Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Andre Plout, and you may have seen him uh, delivering a workshop on learning experience design. He is the owner and founder of uh, Human Machine, and um, there's just so much to know and love about um, Andre and the work that he has um, brought to our industry. And so, Andre, would you please take a moment to um, do a better job of introducing yourself and who you are and what, what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, my name is Andre. Um, like you mentioned, I'm the founder of uh, Human Machine, which is a learning design studio. Um, and yeah, for the better part of um, the last 10 years, I've really been uh, doing learning design and facilitation and corporate training um, at all sorts of different uh, places. Uh, so really starting off at Apple, where I, I did a ton of employee onboarding and and training around new products and, and really specifically the sort of retail world there uh, to bringing it to the startup world and sort of consumer products where um, I was the product lead at General Assembly, uh, which is an education startup uh, based in New York where I am, uh, but has campuses um, all over the place. Uh, so really working with teams of instructional designers and product managers and subject matter experts to, to build out courses on everything from user experience design uh, to web development and all sorts of sort of technical skills. Um, and then most recently, I was the head of learning and development at a uh, digital agency um, here in Brooklyn called Huge. Um, so really sort of doing a lot of learning design facilitation, working with department heads to, to really help develop the employees um, there. Um, and then since January of, of last year, I've been on my own working with different clients and, and bringing everything that I know about learning design and, and learning strategy um, to them. So whether that's helping them think through their own kind of consumer products in the education world to um, thinking about employee engagement, uh, executive development, uh, and even the way that they're structuring their own learning design teams. Um, that's the work that I've been doing over the last uh, year and a half. Oh, so you your business just started in January of 2020? It's, it's, it's pretty fresh. Yeah, yeah. That is fresh. Okay, so I always ask, how did you become an idol? So how did you become an instructional designer? What's like your origin story? Yeah, uh, so I have... A, a pretty weird pathway into this, which I think is actually pretty common in, in the work that we do. I, I find that relatively few people have a very, like, they knew they wanted to do instructional design, they went to school to study it, and then that's what they did. Um, so I originally studied filmmaking. Um, I was a film student, um, always wanted to, to write, direct, make movies, um, up until the point where I went to film school and then had a bit of an existential crisis and realized that that was not what I wanted to do. Um, and at that time I had been working at Apple in an Apple store and I, I basically got into contact with the training team at Apple, started to sort of work with them and they really took me in. Um, and I was able to sort of work alongside incredibly talented learning designers and corporate facilitators. Um, and they sort of taught me, uh, pretty much everything I know. Um, and that was an amazing experience. I think 
what I realized through that kind of existential crisis of, of realizing that I didn't want to be a filmmaker, but that there was this other thing that was really interesting to me is that what I loved about film um, and, and what drew me to it is this idea of creating something that allows a group of people to have a shared experience. Um, so, you know, I could make a film and then put it into a theater and now, you know, crowds of a hundred or more people um, can laugh and cry and, and have all of these sort of uh, shared experiences and, and walk out maybe a little bit of a different person because of it. Um, and I realized I could do the same thing with learning design. Um, it wasn't a movie, it was a learning experience, but you're still creating something where a group of people can come together, have a shared experience and hopefully walk out of it um, changed in some way and, and, and better versions of themselves because of, of what you did. Um, so that was my, my journey into it. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. So I do, I've seen a couple of people become instructional designers because they did just what you did where they just walked over or met people in the training department of the company that they were already working at. Yeah. And so how incredible. So you just like went over there and made friends and they, they basically, wings. I mean, I think it, it came, it came pretty naturally to me because uh, I always loved being the person that other people came to for questions. Um, that was always for me when I was in school and then uh, even in film school and, and then going into Apple, I'm, I think, you know, at the very foundation of learning design to me is just having a sense of curiosity is, is just constantly wanting to learn for yourself and to try new things and, and to have a really open mind. Um, and, and then being excited to share that with other people and being that person that everybody else goes to when they need help, when they have a question. And so I think for me that that's how it started. Um, and I don't know if it was sort of me coming into contact with the training team or the training team sort of realizing that I was kind of doing this work uh, without being asked to do it, um, where we both sort of realized like, oh, there's there's a really great match here. Um, and again, it was largely due to their uh, willingness to take me sort of under their wings that that I really found this world. What do you think um, are some of those lessons that you got to learn early? Because not a lot of people um, get their first instructional design job at such a well-known company and specifically a well-known company that's known for their training. Yeah. So what do you think uh, kind of was the difference as far as like your early experiences and what you learned about, um, you know, instructional design and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. So I think a, a lot, there were a, a couple <laughs> of really key things that were, that made a really big impression on me at Apple. The first is that I feel like I learned about instructional design and learning design from the perspective of a facilitator first, um, which I think was like a really valuable experience. So before I really sat down with the instructional designers and, and saw their process and, and how they created curriculum and, and learning experiences, I was on the delivery side of it. So I was the one receiving what was being created. So slides, facilitator guides, participant materials, um, and for a long time, I was the one in front of the room uh, facilitating that stuff. So um, basically, whenever new uh, Apple employees would be hired, they would have to go through at least a week long sort of onboarding experience. So you would be in one of those sort of like hotel ballroom situations that was set up as a classroom. Um, and we'd be there all week with uh, groups of like 60 to 70 new uh, Apple employees really taking them through the, the history of Apple, the uh, culture there, how to work with 
one another, how to work with customers. So all sorts of different skill sets. Um, and I was the one teaching uh, a lot of it along with an, uh, a, a group of co-facilitators. Um, and so that was really uh, an amazing learning experience. One, because I developed that skill set of, of facilitation and public speaking, but I got to see firsthand how the learning design was actually sort of, you know, operating in the room. I got to see how people reacted to it. Um, I got to understand how it actually worked from a delivery standpoint. And so I feel like when I started to switch over to the learning design part of it, and I got to see my work be handed off to the facilitator, um, I knew really well how things would land. Um, I had a pretty good sense of how things would actually work in the room, which I think is a really valuable um, experience. Um, and one that if, if you're just going straight into the learning design without experiencing it as a facilitator, it might be harder for you to, to do. Um, so I think that was a big one. The other one that I think really shaped my whole philosophy around learning design is that it was just like a, an entirely designed experience. Um, the, the learning designers weren't just thinking about you know, what are the slides going to be? What are the activities? Um, they were thinking about uh, how the tables were set up. They were thinking about all of the materials that the students had access to. They were thinking about the email invites. They were thinking about the music that was playing in the room when they walked in. They were thinking about how we would follow up with these participants, lunch, dinners. They were thinking about the equipment, like all of the experience down to every little detail was designed, um, which I think is, is really speaking to sort of Apple's DNA. Um, and it made me realize that that learning design is a lot bigger than just uh, objectives and activities and curriculum. It, it is about the entire kind of social experience that is when people get together and, and learn together. I love that. And so obviously, like you've already kind of hinted a little bit, your philosophy has grown and evolved um, over this time from when you started at Apple. And so um, take us to like, kind of just tell us what is learning experience design in your own words and why you're so passionate about it and what new instructional designers um, should look out for, or just some, you know, things they should research that kind of thing. Yeah. So my, my philosophy was sort of a combination, <clears throat> excuse me, was sort of a combination between those experiences at Apple and then bringing a lot of that to General Assembly um, where we were building consumer education products. Um, and what I realized is that as we were building a course around user experience design and really focusing on how do you design websites, how do you design mobile apps, um, I really started to see the connections between the work that I was doing as a learning designer and the work that our user experience design students were doing. Um, and so I think the best way to sort of communicate my philosophy around learning experience design is that um, it's a design discipline uh, in the same way that user experience design is a design discipline and the way that service design is, is a design discipline. Um, and essentially it shares all of the same sort of DNA and, and processes that all of these other design disciplines do in, in terms of identifying requirements, um, writing out sort of user needs, uh, whether it's like a user story or a learning objective. Um, it means sort of 
putting together structures. Uh, it means designing the actual sort of touch points that uh, users or learners will experience. All of that is pretty much the same. Um, the only difference between learning design and, and something like user experience design is the output ends up being different. Uh, where one might be a website, might be an app, might be a, a physical product. The other is a you know learning experience, whether that's uh, virtual or in person. Um, and so I think when you when you think about it that way, it becomes a little bit more expansive. It's it it's a move away from just thinking about instructional design as content and more about really experience design in which content is definitely a big part of it, but not the whole thing. Um, and so I think that's, that's the way that I've tried to think about it over the last eight or nine years. Um, it's the way that I sort of talk about it a lot to, to folks, especially those starting off uh, in this world. Um, and I think not only does that make for better and more effective learning experiences, it also makes them a lot more interesting and a lot more fun um, when we were building the user experience design uh, immersive program at General Assembly, I realized that we had this sort of incredible opportunity. We had eight weeks uh, and you know 20 to 25 people who were completely dedicated to learning during those eight weeks. Um, they didn't have full-time jobs. They had quit those. Um, they were really joining us for a, a pretty significant chunk of time. And we had the privilege and the responsibility to design their eight weeks to, to really think about how are we going to fill this time. Um, and initially we were thinking of just content, but we realized that there was a bigger opportunity. Uh, and we began to introduce social elements to it, whether it was uh, meetups or networking events or even film screenings. And, and we realized that it was a much more sort of holistic approach to learning about something um, where you actually got to be inspired, you actually got to sort of build your network. Um, ultimately, it led to a better experience and a, and a more successful outcome for those students um, than if we had just thought about what are going to be our learning objectives, what, what are these slides going to look like? Um, and so I think that would be one advice for folks just starting out in this world is um, certainly knowing how to create great learning content is important, but constantly sort of zooming out a, a little bit and, and thinking about what can I do to sort of address the whole learner through this experience, really address their motivations for doing this. Uh, why, why should they want to learn? Why should they devote their time and energy into this? Um, what are other sort of ways that I can engage with them that aren't explicitly learning, but will help in the learning? Um, so really thinking about the whole experience and, and the whole learner and, and all of their needs. Uh, this is so good. I even had a student just asked me yesterday, like, do you have a place that lists all the different content content types and, and uh, what each one is used for what? And I said, well, the a type of content is just as expansive as the tools there are to create content, but we are not we don't want to get confused with content creators. We are problem solvers. And just like you've said that we are designing learning experiences. And so I think this is a great point because I think those that are new, they, they think it's all about, just like you said, they think that it's, oh, I'm just here to create content. I'm here mm -hmm. to create um, these e-learning courses and, and what kind of e-learning courses should I create and when, but it's, it's more holistic than that. So I, I, totally. I'm with you. I'm totally. With you. <laughs> And 
And so um, whenever uh, people want to get started in thinking about designing the whole experience for a learner, and you just kind of mentioned some of it, just thinking through all the things they thought about for an instructor-led training. I mean, is there um, like a, a guide or a list or how is it that they can think about the holistic experience if they don't have experience thinking that way? Is there yeah. like, where would you point them? So this is where I think we can learn from uh, our sort of cousin design disciplines. Um, so I'm really inspired by a lot of work in the sort of service design uh, world. And, and I would encourage anyone who's thinking about becoming an instructional designer or learning designer to uh, pick up a book on, on service design. There's a great book called This is Service Design that really walks you through this stuff. But what, what's very cool about service design is that if, if you think about things like user experience design, which are, again, are, are typically focused on more digital or physical products um, on one end of the spectrum. And then you think of learning experience design on the other end of the spectrum, which is really focused on experiential things and, and skill building. Um, service design is sort of in the middle of that. Um, and when you think of any great in-person, often in-person experience, so uh, maybe it's a retail store that has incredible customer service and, and it, it's beautiful and, and you really enjoy being in that space. Um, it might be like an incredible airport where the, like, the signage is super clear, where you felt really welcomed, where everything felt really seamless. All of those things are just great service design experiences. And so there's all sorts of tools that service designers use. Um, so for example, like a user journey map um, that really allows you to think about all of the sort of uh, needs that a learner might have at every stage of the process, what they might be thinking, the pain points they might be experiencing. And then uh, you create sort of touch points across all of that. So um, for example, one thing that we figured out at General Assembly was that before day one of a course, so before the student walks in through our doors for the first time, there's, they're engaging with General Assembly for weeks, uh, or maybe even months uh, before that moment. And a lot of what they're experiencing before that moment can be pretty challenging and, and pretty daunting and, and have some pretty significant pain points. Like, for example, for our full-time programs, uh, the students, if they have jobs, they have to leave their job in order to take that program. And so they have to uh, have really difficult conversations with probably their families, uh, maybe their partners around not being employed for a certain period of time. They would have to have a conversation with their managers. Um, and those aren't easy. And so we started thinking, how can we create touch points uh, at that part of the journey for the students that will help them through that part of it? Um, and while we know that that's not strictly learning design, we knew that doing that work would make the learning experience more effective and better because it would, it would set an expectation for the student. It wouldn't make them feel supported. Um, it would ease them into the state of mind that we want them to be in when they show up on day one, which is excited and ready and refreshed um, as opposed to like stressed and having all sorts of like anxiety inducing and painful conversations over the past few weeks. And so um, I would really say like look into learning design or service design, look into things like 
user journey mapping and, and, and learning about pain points and touch points. Um, I think that's a great place to widen your horizon into what learning design can be. Right. And even if they just start to look um, like expand their point of view, like you've mentioned, Andre, to think about their journey and those pain points, even just like, it seems like a cursory glance at that, Mm -hmm. we would already design a better solution if you could solve a few of those pain points along the way. Totally. And and I think the other fascinating thing that's pretty unique to learning design, and, and again, I keep comparing it to, to other design disciplines, but one thing that I think user experience or, or learning experience design really has that, that's unique to it is there's an emotional journey that a user goes through that's pretty consistent across learning experiences. Whereas like, if you think about an app or a website, you can be having like a great time the whole time you're using it, right? Like if there's an app that you love or it's a game or, or something like that, um, you don't need to have any kind of challenge or struggle with it. It it can be positive the whole time. Where with a learning experience, uh, there's inherently going to be challenges and struggle built into it. Um, if you're ever learning anything significant, you're going to fail at times. You're going to struggle to, to understand something. Um, that's just a part of, of learning. And so I think that is really exciting because as learning designers, you can really figure out, you know, when are the most likely points where my learners will um, get frustrated? Where, where does it get particularly more difficult? Um, where might they be sort of losing a little bit of motivation um, and those are the areas that I have the most fun when it comes to designing learning experiences, because um, that's when you can really be there for your learners. Um, you can encourage them to, to keep moving through it. You can show them examples of uh, things that are not as great, but then become better if they sort of commit to it. Um, again, back at General Assembly, we knew usually when there would be like at the very end of a really hard project or you know, right before we kick off like the final project when students might be at their sort of most exhausted, most frustrated. Um, and those were the points that we decided to do things like happy hours or decided to do things like film screenings, because that's where we wanted to infuse motivation and inspiration um, and, and allow them to sort of relax a little bit. Um, and so looking at a user journey helps identify those points. And just knowing that as a learning designer, um, the stuff that doesn't necessarily feel like learning can still be really important because it's an emotional journey at the end of the day. And, and it's your job as a designer to understand that journey for your learners and build in uh, moments that will help them move ahead and, and progress through that experience. Yeah. And it's even, um, I even saw an article and this is that thing, you know, an article, I don't have a title <laughs> or a name for you. I just saw an article yesterday that um, it's that they've um, done studies and they say that like the actual time and the breaks that you take in between learning um, is just as important as, you know, learning that content because your brain will like solidify it and put it into long-term memory and all yeah. those kinds of things. And so it's, you're right. I mean, just thinking about um, what are the breaks that you can put in, what is the inspiration you can give them. Um, and even just that idea, like 
there is a payoff at the end mm-hmm. and showing them at the hardest moment. It's, it's funny. I just uh, started a new cohort last week. And one of the things I was doing today, because I know that they are all struggling um, to build their portfolio. So the first thing I I've been doing this week is posting links for inspiration. Here's a whole, here's a hundred different instructional design portfolios. Here's 50 different e-learning inspiration samples for you and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's nice to actually give it a name. I I think I almost kind of did it instinctively. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And and it's funny. I think about some parallels between learning and things like physical fitness. Um, I'm a, uh, I'm a big runner. I, I really enjoy running. And uh, one thing that I feel like I had to work through in becoming a better runner is that recovery days are just as important as the days in which you're working out and, and running, right? So how you give yourself breaks, how you manage it, all of the other stuff that doesn't feel like running, but it actually is your diet, your rest days, your other workouts that aren't running, all of that adds up to you just becoming a better learner uh, runner. And so learning is not any different uh, that sometimes it feels like the only type of learning that exists is learning when in fact, learning looks different depending on what that person needs. Um, again, it, it's, it's inspiration, it's community, it's finding other parts of your life that you want to sort of open up and, and learn more about. Um, one thing that we used to do um, was have things like meditation uh, or yoga available to students. So obviously we didn't force anyone to do anything, but I realized that when somebody opens themselves up to learn something, um, it's an incredibly powerful and sort of vulnerable thing. Um, and it can be used for all sorts of different things. And so uh, it, you know, we're here to learn about user experience design, but given that you are open to trying new things and, and opening yourself up to learn, um, are there other things that you can explore as well, like meditation or like whatever else it might be? So um, just know that as a learning designer, you have a real, again, privilege and sort of responsibility um, to be creating the experience that somebody who is putting themselves in a vulnerable uh, position, um, they're trusting you to, to sort of guide them through it. And so you have an opportunity to really um, impact and, and change this person's life for the better. I love that. That's, that just kind of brought up in my mind, thinking about how so many times it's not even just about teaching somebody a process or a how to do something, but it's even um, changing their mindset mm-hmm. about what they think about a thing or how they handle the stress of going through a career transition, kind of like those in general assembly and exactly um, those in, in my program. And so um, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, I um, obsess over the mindset because the, those hows get a lot easier whenever you've like identified your why, or you um, have you know, found a way to overcome the, the fears and the doubts that your mind brings to you. And so I just love that you've pointed that out, Andre, that you can, um, it doesn't have to be only about the process you're teaching. You can also incorporate those other things that make that process easier from the learn. Totally. So you, um, I mean, you've come I mean, you've started your own business. You are hosting workshops. What are some of the workshops that you that you teach on? What's kind of your thing? What's yeah. the thing that people come listen to you about? Yeah. So, so 
the the two big topics that I've been teaching most recently um, are obviously around learning design um, and and how to build great learning experiences. Um, and the other, which is sort of a specialty of of human machine and and was one of the original kind of founding ideas behind it, um, is actually on how to create more ethical uh, technology products. Um, so this is something that I've been teaching for close to three or four years now. Um, and, and it's really helping folks um, really ask themselves questions and, and think through the implications of the technology that they're designing or building um, and really trying to better understand the uh, impact, both intended and unintended, um, that it has on society, on uh, individuals, on their behavior. Um, and so those are the two sort of topics that I've been uh, teaching most often over the last year or so. Okay, I'm interested. So what is it? What's an ethical technology? Can you give me an example of, I mean, I'm only thinking about like robots that then turn on humans to destroy them yes. as um, unethical <laughs> technology, but I'm sure you have like a more realistic example. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So there's definitely like the, I, I do think most people's sort of mindset when they think about technology ethics goes to things like artificial intelligence and, and things like job displacement. So, you know, is, is there a world in which, you know, I'm no longer a learning designer because a, a robot or, or some sort of software has figured out a way to just automatically build learning experiences. So that, that's certainly one category of, of ethical um, technology. But I think what we're seeing the impact of much more so over the last, you know, four or so years um, it, are, are things around uh, content moderation, free speech, um, how platforms are used to share ideas and uh, potentially incredible ideas and potentially really harmful and dangerous ones. So that's a, a big part of it. Um, you know, how do you design systems and policies uh, so that you're not necessarily impinging on on uh folks's sort of free speech rights but you're also not encouraging really harmful and damaging things um the other one is is around the impact that technology has on the environment um so one thing that has been um more topical as of late is is for example the impact that things like bitcoin or, or other kind of cryptocurrencies have on uh the climate um, and on the environment. And so um, a lot of these things are not intentionally unethical. So this is, I think, we can get really easily trapped in this mindset that people are out there developing products in order to create harm and chaos. Um, I think that's probably true for some things, but a vast majority are not actively trying to do the wrong thing. Um, but I do think what's happening is um, we build a lot of stuff without really thinking about uh, the, the sort of unintended consequences of it. So, you know, I, I don't think a technology like Bitcoin was specifically developed to have a negative environmental impact. Um, it just so happens that it does. Um, and we didn't really think about that uh, from the beginning. And so a big part of the workshops that I teach is to sort of help folks ask those questions earlier um, and, and that's not to stop them from building what they're building. Um, it's to 
help them start making better design decisions um, so that they can either prevent those negative things or, or mitigate them a little bit. Um, so those are, those are some examples and, and that's, that's the sort of work that's gone into that. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, we can move on because I know it's not <laughs> specifically uh, related to uh, learning experience design, but I just have to like clarify. So yeah, the, the Bitcoin and the environmental issues, does that come from all those servers that have to hold on to the blockchain? Is that where yeah, the environment that's, impact that's, comes from? That's generally the idea is that basically the entire system is built on, on a tremendous amount of servers and computing power having to be working around the clock all the time. Um, and yeah, that's not great. It's not great for the environment. Um, and you know, th- there are ways to fix that. There are ways to make it better. Um, but it, it would have been great if we had sort of realized that earlier on or, or had sort of put things in place to, to improve that aspect of that product. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, that's that's completely fascinating. But and it also makes sense now that you know we've kind of talked about um, user journeys and experiences and that kind of thing. That it would make sense that you would almost kind of overlay something like a user journey, you know, on these products to think about those ethical places where it might get sticky or what that impact would have. Is that kind of how you got interested in? the ethics of technology? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's absolutely right, that you, you have to, it, it's a similar mindset. You have to sort of think through the entire journey and really figure out these touch points. You know, I think what's interesting about the work around ethical products versus something like learning design is um, there's a term in in UX design and, and service design around designing for the happy path, which I, I think this is sort of inherent to the whole kind of like optimism in, in the sort of tech world where we want to design for a better world, which is great. Um, but I think it, it also means people don't spend enough time thinking about the unhappy path, thinking about like what happens when things go wrong or what happens when uh, products are used in ways that you didn't intend for them to be used. Um, and it's funny because my workshops, I try to make them as enjoyable and fun and light as possible, but we, we do go into some sort of darker realms because the work sort of requires you to, to sometimes assume negative things or assume something will go wrong um, or, or try to find the faults, which is less fun work than going in and thinking your product is going to, to all of a sudden save the planet. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of similar work. It's just, um, it's, it's a different sort of level of it. And, and it requires you to sort of uh, become a little bit more paranoid temporarily just so that you can hopefully create better products. Um, but yeah, I think the thing that really drew me to it is, um, yeah, what's exciting to me about learning design as well is that it's, it's a, it's a, to me, it's fundamentally about really understanding human behavior, understanding how people take in information, how they process that information, how they act based on that information. Um, and so, you know, technology, I think is fascinating because it's, it's sort of a, a very large scale experiment in human behavior. Um, and that's where a lot of my thoughts in tech ethics come from. And, and yes, they, they connect pretty nicely with learning design as well. So in um, 
the your your business your studio does mm-hmm. that mean that you have other people that work with you on your projects so it's 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 a one person studio at this point uh so the the, the hope is to to have more folks at some point um but yeah i mean given that it is so new um and of course given that it was uh started right at the beginning of uh, a pretty unprecedented period um it's it's worked out really well just having uh, me kind of work with different clients. And, and so I'm working with teams in-house at all sorts of different companies. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of the m- main uh, kind of learning strategist and, and consultant working with different organizations at this point. What, who's your ideal client? I mean, like what oh, is wow. the kind of work that you love to do? I mean, just in case. Yeah. Just yeah. in case. <laughs> um, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, different organizations that I'm, I'm, uh, really into that I think would be super fun, whether that's like Disney or, or even like working with like a museum or something. I think I'm just a big fan of experiential things and, and in-person things. Um, and so getting to do any kind of work that it would involve um, like a, a physical space or physical installation, um, I think would be really fun. Um you know, Nike might be a fun one, just given that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about running and things. Um, I think any one of those would be a great time. Um, when I was actually um, in high school, I went to this like film camp um, at Disney in Florida and I lived there for three weeks. Um, and that was like the most fun I've ever had. It was super cool. Oh, so you, I didn't even, I didn't even catch on to that, that um, those are the, your favorite kinds of projects is thinking about like the mu- like a museum, right? Like we can all probably think about um, the the learning journey that you get to go through in that yeah. physical space and the interactions and, and and they even have sound and all that kind of stuff. And so is that kind of the thing that you focus on for your clients right now, or that's the kind of work you'd like to do more of? Yeah, I think so. None of the clients that I work with currently do anything like that. Um, yeah. I would love would love to be able to do anything like that. I think, again, over the last year has probably not been the time to do any kind of in-person experience. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to get back to that. But yeah, I think I, you know, just love museums. You know, I think we all can sort of identify a museum that we've gone to that was really immersive and engaging and, and fascinating. Um, it, it's funny. So I was, uh, I grew up all over the place, but I was born in Brazil originally and lived in Brazil for the first few years of my life and um, still go back and visit uh, and, and have family there. And one time we went to, um, there's a, a soccer museum in uh, the city where my family is. Um, and we went to go and visit it. And at that point, I was not really that big of a soccer fan. Um, most of my family was, but I was never really into it. Um, but I ended up going with them and it like completely blew my mind. Um, it was just an unbelievable museum. It was incredibly immersive uh, and uh, the way that they used the space and media and sound and video and projections, it was one of the coolest things um, I've ever seen. And it like converted me into a fan, um, which I think is, is fascinating and such a cool thing that you can walk into a space not really caring about something and because they've made it so emotionally engaging and beautiful and educational, um, you walk out of it um, in newly engaged in that topic in a way that you'd never been before. 
Um, so yeah, I, I love experiences like that. Um, again, I think it's pretty similar to, to why I love movies and, and wanted to go into filmmaking um, is, is really creating those kinds of immersive experiences. So I am sure that you have sparked so much interest in um, what you've talked about so far, Andre. I mean, the the service design, learner experience design, uh, UX, and, and then even just the idea of um, designing for spaces. And so what's kind of the resources, the books, the workshops, the classes, what are the things that have uh, brought the most um, information or inspiration to you at, in your journey so far? Cause yeah. I know, I know you read a lot. I can just tell, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I do read a, I have like a good amount, not, I would like to read more. Um, but I, uh, pretty much exclusively read the most boring, like history books I can get my hands on for some reason, that's like the only thing I'm capable of reading. So, um, like right now, and it's, I, I don't think it's boring. I think it's fascinating, but most, I think other people would find it boring. Like right now I'm reading a book, um, about the history, uh, of building the Brooklyn bridge. Um, I live right by it. I run across the bridge like twice a week. Um, so it's a, it's a special piece of infrastructure to me. And I'm reading a book about, um, how they built it. So probably my, my, my reading choices are probably not the best thing to look at in terms of. Uh, learning design inspiration. Um, I will say um, there is one book that I've read recently um, that I thought was phenomenal um, that isn't explicitly about learning design, but I think it actually is about learning design um, because as I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is like as a facilitator, as a learning designer, like I'm seeing all of the things that I think about and care about in this book. Um, and it's a book called Making Conversation um, w- uh, by Fred Dust, um, who is a former co-founder and partner at IDEO.org uh, uh, and uh, just a lovely human being. Um, and yeah, he, he wrote a book about conversation design and, and how do you design for and have better conversations with other human beings. Um, and it really, I think, has a lot of the sort of fundamental core ideas that I share when it comes to learning design and, and facilitation, because I, I think at the end of the day, a lot of learning is, is just a really great conversation between people. Um, and so that's a book that I would um, totally recommend. Um, I, I feel like I'm only going to recommend sort of tangential or like partially inspirational things Um one other thing that I, I've watched recently that I thought was just so cool and really inspirational, um, and it, Disney is going to get another shout out here, is um, on the Disney Plus uh, service, they have like a multi-part documentary series um, about Imagineering. So like the history and the concepts around the way that they design theme parks, the way that they use technology um, to design these like otherworldly experiences. Um, and I thought that was just like unbelievably cool. And, and again, I think goes into a lot of detail about stuff that isn't explicitly learning design, but it is how to design really immersive um, and, and really transformative experiences for people. And, and I found that to be really um, exciting and, and inspirational. Well, I'm interested in what you 
you've shared, I've wrote them down. I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to go read making conversation and, um, and Disney plus. And I even, uh, so I did, have you watched at all, uh, the new Loki show that came out on Disney? Plus? I, I have, I have watched it. <laughs> did you see the second episode? Yes. I mean, the first episode where they have, um, the training video and there's a little yes. clock. And then do you see the second episode where the little clock is actually kind of like a personalized learning experience? Yeah, it's a great, great, great show so far. Yeah. And, and, you know, pretty good instructional video. I'm not going to lie. Very retro, but pretty good instructional video. Uh, Of course, we can't even take the lens off when we're watching a a, a TV show. But I went out and then they have like this character for those who haven't seen like Loki um, episode two. They have this character that comes out of the training video and is like a holographic type of of image that has a conversation while training and does like the quizzing to make sure that uh, Loki has understood what he's supposed to be learning and um, and and even responds to him and and asks him follow-up questions and tells him whether he's right or or not and I just so fascinating to even think about having and something like that some kind of personalized learning where it feels like you are talking to somebody that understands and can direct your learning yeah and who knows there might be a learning designer in the writer's room at at loki at (laughs) at marvel studios there's there's another client that i would happily take on is, is marvel studios big big fan of those films too Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard not to be, yeah. I mean, I'm a mom of three boys and so yeah. I have to watch those things by default, but <laughs> I, I do, I do enjoy it. So there's so much that you've shared with us, Andre, what is kind of like your last and final advice for those that are brand new to instructional design? They, um, people that, um, check out this podcast, maybe like teachers, professors mm-hmm. just never really even, um, entered the world of, of learning design, you know, in, in a workplace learning type of situation. So what's, what's your best and final advice and tips and that kind of thing? Yeah, I would say, um, I know I'm, I might sound like a little bit of a broken record, but really this idea of, of widen the scope, think beyond sort of strictly content, um, really ask yourself, you know, why is the learner here? How can I sort of best serve them both from a knowledge and skills perspective, but from a more holistic, uh, emotional, uh, social community perspective as well. Um, how can I create the best possible experience for them? Um, so they don't just walk out having learned the things I, I wanted them to learn, but having really transformed into, um, a better version of themselves, I think is, um, the first thing. And then I would say the second thing, which maybe is a little bit of a given, but, um, maybe this is for the folks who uh, maybe have been doing this type of work or, or feel maybe stuck a little bit is, you know, I think the thing that keeps me really excited and engaged in doing this type of work is the fact that I, I feel like I get to learn things for a living. Um, the, the most important work that I do as a learning designer is learning about other things myself. Um, I'm certainly not an expert in every learning objective or certain topic that I'm designing for. Um, I have to learn like everybody else. Um, I think what's really fun about this work and what's really uh, kind of rewarding about it is that you get to sort of 
try to learn something as quickly as possible so that you're always a couple of steps ahead of everybody else. Um, and then you get to immediately turn around and, and share that back to other people. Um, and so, you know, I, I get that sort of added benefit of, of learning new things myself. And um, I do think that having that sense of curiosity and, and experimentation and always being open to figuring things out that you're unfamiliar with um, is one of the real sort of gifts of, of doing this type of work. That's my favorite part too. <laughs> <laughs> so Audrey, where can people find you? Like where, um, your business, uh, where do you hang out, um, your workshops, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so uh, you will almost certainly find me most actively, un- pro- unfortunately, probably on Twitter. Um, so you can follow me. Uh, it's just my first and last name. So at Andre Plout. Um, I apologize in advance. If you do follow me, you're probably going to see a lot more content on everything from like dogs to European soccer to politics. But I swear once in a while I do post about learning design. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's where I'm definitely hanging out most. Uh, my website um, for human machine is just uh, a human machine.com. So sort of all together. Um, so just a just the letter a humanmachine.com. So you can sort of see a little bit more about our philosophy and, and the way that we're sort of trying to bring learning design to different organizations. Um, yeah, those are the, the, the two uh, best places to find me. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.